All right. Well, how are we this morning? 10 o'clock? Hey, yeah. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. It's way, way better than the 830. I'm glad to see you. Um, so good to see you guys this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Zach Morgan. I'm the connection pastor here at Cross Point City Church. And I know we just pray, but if you guys would join me in praying, let's ask for God's help this morning as, as we dig into his word. God, we thank you so much for, uh, for the opportunity to be just here this morning, God. Hear from your word. Hear from, hear from what Jesus has to say to us. I pray that you would open up our hearts this morning to be receptive to your word. Uh, pull out any blind spots in our hearts. God, fill them with your grace and love. And it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you guys have your Bibles with you um, or a device that has a Bible on it, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. As you guys are turning there, I'm going to go ahead and get going, and, and I want to just pose a question to you to start. Think about a time, and maybe recent or maybe former, where, where something has happened in your life that you wanted to seek revenge on somebody about. Think about it. It could be any time at all. And, and, and I think all of us in the room this morning can probably sit here long enough and think about a couple of times where, man, I've had something happen that I, I just wanted to seek revenge on this person for what they had done to me. Somebody wronged us, something hurt us, somebody came against us the wrong way, something that offended us, maybe it hurt a family member, somebody we love, and in response to the wrongdoing that's been done against us, we wanted to seek revenge on that person. Well, this happened to me a few years ago, and this is a very vivid time that I don't think I'll ever forget this moment happening to me. So uh, my wife and I have been married now for just a little over a year, and this, this was right after we first started dating, so maybe two and a half years ago. Um, I, at the time, at that point in my life, I was working in management at a Target, and um, I was actually working in the Starbucks. We had a Starbucks in our Target, so I managed managed that at the time. And at this point in my relationship with my now wife, I'm just now discovering her obsession with Starbucks coffee. All right. And I heard an amen. I think I just got an amen out of that. She has a friend. Uh, so, so I just learned about the obsession. It's quite possibly an addiction to Starbucks coffee. And I always give her grief about it because she would, she would always be there so much and she's still there today all the time. And, um, but at this point, so, so it was kind of my wife's excuse to come and, come and have a coffee was, hey, Zach's working while I'm shopping. I'm going to go see him, grab a coffee, and go. Um, so, so sometimes she would come in and see me at work. Sometimes she would swing in real quick, say hello, and grab something to drink. Well, um, so there, there was one night in particular. I'm working. My wife comes up, and she's standing there across the counter from me. I'm on this side. She's on the other. And to anybody else that doesn't know that we're together, we look like just any, she's any old customer and, I, and I'm the guy working behind the counter. So we're standing there talking in a pretty quiet tone and, um, and, and up walks this guy behind her. So I kind of finish up with her, I wrap up, she goes down or she's still standing there about to go down and, and, and I watch what still bugs me to this day. All right, this dude walks up behind her, standing in line right behind her and he just sits there and all of a sudden I just see him start checking out my wife, girlfriend at the time. So I see him sit there checking her out and he's just... And I'm not talking he took a quick peek. Like, he didn't take a glance at her. He, from top to bottom, checked her out. All, all, and I'm, like, sitting there just like, oh, my gosh. It was so bad, I was offended. Like, I felt violated by what I had just seen. It was that bad. And, and so this is going on right in front of my face, and I'm watching this, and she has no clue what's going on. So I finish up with her, and this guy walks up to the counter. Right before he gets there, I'm sitting here thinking in my head, all right, I got two options at the time. I'm going to tell this guy off right here and now. I'm just going to tell him off, tell him what he just did was, you're, you're ridiculous, you need to leave, or, God help me, I'm about to make this guy's drink. So, that means there's a lot of possibilities for me to do some things to take revenge, right? I had, had a lot of opportunities to, to really get out and seek some revenge on this guy. And I'm sitting there like, which one do I go to? I, I don't know. 
Now, I'm proud to stand up here today and say I did not do either of the two. I ended up letting it go. That was option number three for me. And I ended up letting it go and letting, just, just letting it pass by. But, man, this is something I still talk about with my wife to this day all the time. I'm like, babe, do you remember that day that dude was just checking you out? She's like, yeah, you tell me, and you get mad about it still. All right, it frustrates me, man. He was he's checking out my girl, and he, he, it was just bad. So, so this, this happened, and he has absolutely no clue. But um, I, I tell that story to get to the point that I think all of us at some point or another in our lives, and in some way, shape, or form, can think about a time where we wanted to take revenge out on someone for what they've done to us some way or another. And if you don't think you're that person, let me get us all on the same page because you might be able to stand up here and say, man, Zach, I don't think I would mess with some dude's coffee over checking out my girl. Play the scenario through your head with me. You're driving down the road this afternoon. You're on the highway. One of two things happens. You're driving. Someone pulls out directly in front of you or someone's in the lane beside you and they pull over directly in front of you. Now, what, was your, what would be your response? They've cut you off in traffic. What would be your response? Lay on the horn. There we go. I love it. Most likely, it's not going to be a holy prayer and song thanking God for that person's existence. Sadly enough, the best response that the majority of us have is to lay on the horn, go around them, put an expletive out the window, and then get in front of them and lock on the brakes. That's the best response that we have to the injustice we've experienced on the highway. And I joke about that, but that nearly happened twice to me this past week. And I got so mad and I'm like, wait, I'm teaching about this on Sunday. God help me. God help me. I can't go down that road. But this is real. And and, and so I think that'll put all of us onto the same page that all of us have this desire in us deep down whenever someone wrongs us, offends us, or does something to hurt us, we want to take revenge back on that person for what they have done. Now, We all have this desire, and because that is true, it can be absolutely enslaving and damaging and frustrating in our lives. Revenge is something that stems from anger, and it not only damages us inwardly, it not only just bugs us, weighs us down, and it hurts our soul, but it's also going to hurt the people that are around us. And so this morning, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 38 to 42, and, and, and Jesus addresses this topic of revenge And he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone would slap you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow. All right, so so this is is Jesus' teaching on revenge, and to give us all some understanding and some context around what he's talking about here, or why, where he's kind of coming from with the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth idea. Uh, when he comes from this, he's, he's referring back to an Old Testament law. They call, they're just known as eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, meaning that whatever, if someone's wronged you or you committed a crime or you did something to someone, equal punishment or justice could come back on you for what you had done. So if you took somebody's eye, you could take your eye. If you cut somebody's hand off, they could cut your hand off. One way or another, uh, equal justice or punishment could be due. Now, when this law was set up to begin with, the law was implemented to take retaliation and, and the justice out of the hands of individuals like us, and it was supposed to put it into the hands of the court system, the judicial system at the time. So it wasn't my responsibility to go and to, man, if somebody did something to me, I, I go and take revenge. Instead, that was the court's job. But what was going on in Jesus' day was really two faults. One, the people were taking revenge into their own hands. They were taking retaliation on their own backs. 
And then number two, not only were they taking retaliation on their own backs, they were doing stuff back in retaliation that was far greater than what the crime actually called for to be done. So, so for instance, you could walk into your local Jerusalem 7-Eleven and steal a Snickers bar and somebody could chop your hand off because they thought that that was just payment. You stole from me, I'm just going to chop your hand off right here and now we're going to be done with it. So you had people abusing the law in ways that, that the law did not allow for. And what Jesus is reaching to in this passage is he's, he, he's, he's correcting them in their understanding of the law but Jesus is also moving them into a new heart attitude that he wants his followers to carry with them every single day. He's given us a new attitude that should go deep into our heart that should affect how we see the topic of revenge and retaliation. And the, the, the thing that he's getting us to here is that as a follower of Jesus, you and I, as we follow Jesus, we ultimately lay down our rights. We have no rights as followers of Jesus. And let me explain, because I know some people might say, I'm an American and I have rights and I know it. Don't tell me otherwise. That's what I have. But, but Jesus is saying, as his follower, we carry a different mentality and we have no rights. Um, and so one of the beginning factors into why you and I would try to seek revenge to begin with is because so oftentimes our hearts, our sinful hearts, are so prone to make everything in this world all about us. Am I right? We make everything about us. Everything comes back to us. It's all about me being number one. It's about my life. It's about my cares. It's about my feelings. It's about my emotions. It's about what you did to me. And, and so because that's the case, I feel like I have the right to take revenge because you've done something wrong to me, so I ought to get you back because you, you don't mess with me. And, and so that's kind of the, the mentality that we can carry at times, and we feel like it's our job to play judge and law. We feel like it's our job to come in and, and take the action whenever we feel like we've been wronged. And if we remember throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus this whole entire time and everything that we've talked about so far, he's not necessarily saying that we have an outward behavior problem, but he's saying instead that we have a problem deep inside of our hearts, namely sin that needs to be solved. And so it affects our outward behaviors, but inwardly we have a problem in our hearts, and he is trying to move that problem out of us. And so we have to remember when we follow Jesus, our perspectives and our desires are going to begin to change. And Jesus wants to take us from being a people who are so inwardly focused, being all about us. And instead, he wants us to be in a people who are so outwardly focused, thinking all about others and all about God and not about ourselves. He wants to move us out from us and out into the world. And so, so Jesus is telling us here we have to lose our rights and that the world does not revolve around us. And, and the thing is, everything that you and I have ultimately does not belong to us to begin with. All right? So think about this. Your abilities, your time, your possessions, your job, your, your money, everything that you have was given to you by God. Everything. And, and some people may say, and, and I've been guilty of this tons, well, man, I worked hard. I got this promotion at work. I did this. I, you know, I made this money. Who gifted me to make that money? Who gifted me to get the jobs that I got? Who, who put me in the places in my life that I would be able to get to that point? It was God. So ultimately, every single thing that we have is God's. Everything in our lives, everything in this world belongs to God. And so when he tells us that we are to lay down our rights, we are to follow him because he has given it to us to begin with. And so, and it's this text that we just read from, man, it's going to be absolutely counterintuitive to 90% of the messages the world is going to send us. As I was even studying this week, man, I'm looking for, I was looking for a couple of examples on just, just crazy stories of revenge, and the, one of the first things that popped up on a Google, Google article, man, first, like, I didn't do a deep, deep search, man, I hit revenge. This came up. It was about a 16-page document on the best ways to seek revenge on people. 
Man, I'm blown away. It's got pictures, animated pictures drawn in there step by step. If they do this, you get them back this way. And then if they do that in response to that, you do this now because you're going to get them back and you're going to get back good. How to hurt them emotionally, how to hurt them physically. And this thing was legit. And I'm sitting there like, holy crap, man, this is the, this is the world that we live in. This is the world that we live in. These are things that people can do in our lives. And so Jesus wants us to not carry the mentality that everything we do is for the sake of revenge, but instead he wants us to be a people who are not about revenge and we seek the good of others and the glory of God in everything that we do. And the first place that Jesus calls us to lay down our rights to is the rights to our time, our personal time. All right, so, so time is something that, that in our world today we seemingly lose more and more and more of. I'm sure you guys know this, and it's true with me as well. I, I, I live a calendar schedule. If it's not on my calendar, it's really, really hard for me to do. It's hard for me to make time for my family sometimes because of how busy life can be. And, and for me, I know if something comes in the way of my calendar for a given week, if something happens to me that's out of the normal, it's going to throw the rest of my day for a loop because I was not prepared for that to happen. And, and so, so Jesus is talking about here, he's saying, hey, for, for us as Christians, man, we are supposed to live our lives and conduct our lives in such a way that, that we live very open-handedly with our time. We live in such a way where, where we're not afraid to, to hand out our time. And here's the hard part. He says in, in, in verse 39, he says, do not resist the one who is evil. So Jesus isn't talking about us freely giving our time away to those people that we love. He's not telling me to go on more family vacations. He's saying that we need to be willing to give our time away freely to those who are our enemies, those who are evil, those who do not like us and have come against us. We have to be willing to give ourselves away and spend ourselves for those people. And if you guys are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, this is kind of that idea, right? If you know the story, a Jewish man was beaten and robbed and he was left on the side of the road for dead. He was beaten up so badly that he was just going to lay there and die unless someone helped him out. So he's laying there, no help, and there are multiple people that come by him. And what do they do? They all go to the other side of the road and they pass by him instead of helping this guy out. They just leave him for dead and they go around. Well, something changes when this, this Samaritan man, Samaria was a town near, uh, near where he was, and, and something changes. This Samaritan man comes, and he stops, and he helps this man, and he helps pick him up and take him to a town so he can seek help. But, but the, the crazy part of the story is culturally in this time period, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other one bit at all. They were not friends. They did not spend time together, m- much less even help each other at all. See, Jews thought Samaritans, they called them half-breeds, and so they were, they were a mixture of races, and they called them half-breeds, and, and they did not want to spend any time near them at all. So, f- so for a Samaritan man to walk by a Jewish man and have the idea to stop, take time out of his day to help this man on the side of the road would have been culturally far outside of the normal. This would not have been something you would have seen every day. But Jesus tells us this story because this is how he wants us to act with our time. See, the Samaritan man went to someone who culturally would, he would have been exiled from and been an enemy of, but because of the love and compassion and grace in his heart, he says, I don't care who you are. I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm going to step in and help you anyways. And I'm going to stand there. And he takes the man. He puts him on his horse. He takes him to town, and he pays for the man's place at the inn that helps get him to rest and recovery and recuperation. Now, I'm sure that this Samaritan man had other things on his calendar for the day. I'm sure he had some other things going on. He was on the road for a reason, so he was going somewhere. But what does he do? He saw this person, he took time out of his day to spend time with him, get him what he needs, and take him to where he could have been. Jesus is telling us here that he wants that life for us. And I know some of you have coworkers 
that drive you absolutely crazy. You're probably thinking of them right now. You're, yes, I do. I know that person. The people that you can't imagine the idea, you don't want to dream about Monday morning because Monday morning means you have to go to work and going to work means you have to see so-and-so at work all day. That's just not fun for you. They are your enemies. They have done something to you that has wronged you and you've been offended by them and they've done something to hurt you and the last thing you want to do is spend any more days around them. And can I be honest for a minute? I've been there too. Now, let me preface. Not at my job now. I love all my coworkers. I don't want to offend anybody. Get kicked out of my office on Monday. I love all these people. But there's been times in my work history, man, where there have been people that I've worked around that we just could not get on the same page together. And I'm just being honest, man. I'm just being honest. I did not use my time in such a way that was honoring to them and glorifying to God. And so I can look back now and see those things, see how that was harmful to me, but also see how it was harmful towards them. And so think about that person that's in your life. And as I thought about that, that this week, and I'm thinking about those people in my head, I'm sitting here thinking, man, what if I actually used my days for their good and for God's glory? What if instead of spending all of my time trying to avoid them and stay away from them, what if I used my time to help them with their work? What if I used my time to pray for them? What if I used my time to encourage them? How many people might have come to Christ had I laid myself down and stepped into where God put me? And man, I was convicted like crazy because I'm thinking about how much time I wasted all because it was about me and not about them. How many people might have come to know Jesus because of my opportunity that I had there? This is what Jesus wants for us. This is the kind of life that he wants for us. Think about, maybe it's not work for you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you and your neighbor have been battling it out about your dog using the restroom on his yard or the fences over the property line and you guys just cannot get along anymore. You can't stand being around each other one bit. You don't want to see him. Or maybe even for some of us, maybe it's our spouse. Maybe our spouse has done so many things that bug us so much and the only thing we can think of is how we can take revenge on them and not love them like God's called us to love our spouse. And this also comes to a head where, where Jesus wants us to not only use our time in such a way that's honoring to them and glorifying to God, you know, not only physical actions, but he also wants us to use the way that we talk to be ways that honor them and glorify God. Because for me, with my coworker problem, it's easy for me to maybe hide from people and not be around them, but what do I do when I'm not there around them? What do I say to the other people in the break room or on lunch for the day? What do I say about that person who I don't like whenever I'm away? Is it honoring to them? Is it glorifying to God? Am I thinking so outwardly instead of thinking so inwardly? The next two things that Jesus points us to in our text is, is money and possessions. Jesus calls us to lay down our rights to money and possessions. Now this one might get a little, little testy for some people. He calls us to lay down our rights to money and possessions. Ultimately, as his followers, we have to be willing to live very, very open-handedly and generous with everything that God has given us, including our money, including the things that we own. And in, in Matthew 40, verse 5, we see Jesus telling us that if someone was to sue us for our tunic, we're to give them our cloak as well. To make sense of that, because I don't see anyone in their tunics and cloaks this morning, so um, to make some sense of that, what he's kind of talking about here, a tunic would have been some sort of an outer garment that would have been similar to a shirt. There's a few different things that would have fallen under the category, but it would have been similar to one of my shirts that I have on. And then the cloak would have been like an outer jacket. It would have been a heavy, very thick thing that would have kept them warm, and it would have gone over the outer side. Now, the cloak was a very valuable thing because for most people, they only had one cloak. You would have multiple, multiple shirts, multiple tunics, but you would have had one cloak that went on the outside. Now, Jesus tells us in this passage something that's just crazy to them. He says, hey, if somebody sues you for your tunic, go ahead and give them your cloak as well. 
And why is that such a big deal? Because even the law would not allow a person to sue another person for their cloak because they only had one of them and they needed it so badly. So if I was to sue you, I could sue you for your, for your shirt, but I couldn't sue you for your coat. And Jesus is telling us, hey, live open-handedly and generously to your enemies with those things that you love so much, with those possessions that you love so dearly, with that money that you hold on to so much. Live open-handedly in such a way that shows God's grace to people every single day. And he wants us to be this way with our money as well. Now think about this for a minute. If, most, if I was to have somebody sue me today, somebody was going to sue me, and, and they come against me and they sue me, most reaction for most people is, they're not getting my stuff, they're not suing me, I'm going to sue them instead, I'm going to take everything they got and get them out of there, never, they'll never mess with me again. That's a reaction I think a lot of people can carry sometimes. You're not going to get it from me, but I'll take it from you. Because you're inconvenienced to me, you're coming against me, I'll take it from you. But Jesus lays all of that to rest here. Because he's, he's, what he's getting to, digging down underneath all of this, is, is the idea that what will really show what we value the most? How we spend our money and how we use our possessions. If you want to see where a person's heart is, see how they act around their money and their possessions. If they live like this all the time, most likely it's going to be about them. But if they're living like this all the time, it's going to be about the good of others and the glory of God. And so when we live that way, Jesus wants us to be a people who are so open-handedly to our enemies when it comes to our possessions that, that, that nobody would ever be able to say, man, they didn't step in to help me out. They didn't step in and, 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 and help me like they should have. Now what, that, now, that person that's wronged you in your life, that person that you want to seek revenge on, think about this for a minute. Say you know someone who has, their families come on hard times, they can't pay the bills right now, their kids are, they're struggling to get food on the table for their kids. But this is one of those people who, who maybe in your history, you guys just could not get along. You could not see eye to eye. You couldn't agree on anything. And maybe there was some bad blood between the two of you. Those people might hope and expect that their family would step in and help them out. The last person that they probably think is going to step in and help them out in a time of need is going to be the pre- people that they are enemies with, right? They're not going to think that, hey, if they, if they don't like me, they're, they're not going to give me their things to help me out. What does that say about us? And more importantly, what does that say about our God? If we are living to live our lives in such a way that even the people that hate us the most, what if we stepped in and said, hey, I know your family's struggling right now. Let me help put some food on the table. Hey, I know you need this right now. Let me help give this away to you. I've known people before that have said, hey, I know your family needs a car. Here, we'll go to one car. Have our car. What if we carried ourselves in such a way? What does that say about our God that we would carry ourselves in a way where people would see that generosity coming from people who they would consider to be their enemies? Ultimately, Jesus is telling us all that we lose our rights to revenge. We lose our rights to revenge. We have no place in our lives to seek revenge on anyone at any time. Think about the idea that Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. All right, Jesus says if somebody comes up to you, slaps you on your right cheek, I have to turn and give them my left as well. Men in the room, if I walk down off the stage and slapped you in the face this morning, what's your first reaction? You're probably going to take me out. I'm not a big dude. You'll probably want to rip my head off, all right? For most of us, that's the the natural reaction is you hit me, I'm going to take you out. But Jesus tells us here that instead of trying to do that, we are to give them the other cheek as well. For most men, man, if you slap, open-handed slap a man, that's a pride shot. It's going to hurt them physically, but deep down inside, they're going to be very upset for a long time that they got slapped by a grown man. Am I right? So 
so, but Jesus is telling us here that ultimately, even in those situations, we have no rights to revenge. Now, he's not telling us here that we're going to be some sort of a, a human pinata at a birthday party. We're not stand there and take everybody beating us up like a punching bag. And he's not saying we can't defend ourselves, but he is saying we do not have the right to take revenge on other people for what they may have done to us. So Jesus is telling us, don't give in to that natural response. Don't give in to the natural response, even when it becomes hard for you to not turn the other cheek, even in those moments where it's hard for you to step away from those people that, wanna, that you want to get revenge on for something they've done to you. Ultimately, as Christians, our lives as, are to be lived as gospel witnesses for the God of the universe. We're to show his love, his glory, and his renown all throughout the earth. And there, there are kind of two things that I think about in my life practically whenever there are situations that arise that I want to seek revenge on. The first thing I always think about, and the Holy Spirit really uses it to grip my heart a lot of the times, is when we seek revenge, we are misunderstanding grace, and we're misunderstanding the gospel. When we seek revenge, we're misunderstanding grace, we're misunderstanding the gospel. Because like I stated a little earlier, one of the fundamental reasons people seek revenge is because it's all about us. And it's about our wants, it's about our needs, it's about our pains, the people who have hurt us, it's all about us. But what will begin to change that in our hearts is when we sit back and think and meditate on all that Jesus has come and done for us. When we think about Jesus coming to earth, living the life that we couldn't live and dying the death that we deserve, our perspectives will begin to change in how we view people and how we view the world. It, it can't, you can't help but look at people differently when you understand that the people that you see are people that God laid his life down for. You can't help but see people differently when you see them that way. Now, something that I think, man, we get, it's hard when you talk about this. We have to remember grace in the gospel. I think some of us have grown so numb to the message of Jesus Christ coming and dying in our sins, for our sins, and in our place that we deserve. We've grown so numb to it because we've heard it a million times in our lives. We've grown up in church. We've heard it so much. And there's no more of that angst in us when we hear the gospel message that, that it leads us to want to do something. It makes us stand in awe of God and want to go serve others and, and live on mission the way he's called us to live. It doesn't move in us that way anymore. But we have to remember this message. And I think one of the things that will help is when we remember that Jesus did not have to come down here and die for us. He was not in our debt and obligated to come pay our bill. Instead, he did it freely and in his grace. God did not have to send his son to, to come and take our place. He could have stayed where he was. He could have left us with no hope in the world and dead in our sins. But church, what did he do instead? Praise God from whom all blessings flow that he sent his son Jesus to come and stand in our place. Praise God that he didn't say, you know, I'm going to leave you out to dry because, because you've turned against me. You've rebelled against me. You've ran away from what I wanted for you. So I'm going to leave you where you are. Instead, he said, hey, because you have been so disobedient, I'm going to come down and save you from your sin because he loves us so much. Church, we can never forget the gospel message. We cannot forget it. It is everything to believers. It's what saved us, it's what is saving us, and it's what will save us in the future. Every single day of our lives needs to be lived in the gospel remembrance. Every single day. And when we do that, we're looking at Christ and his example. It changes us outwardly because we understand what God has done for us. I'm going to turn to Philippians 2. and The Apostle Paul, man, he plays this out so well. He helps us to really get some understanding around around this idea of looking at Jesus as our example. In uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 8, the Bible says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and he found himself in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't look, even though he had every prerogative to do so, he did not look at us. Instead, he, he esteemed himself none, and then he came and took our place. He didn't think of himself higher than everyone else, but he laid himself down for us. And he's telling us, as his followers, that we do not carry ourselves in such a way that we see us as more significant than everyone else in the world. Because when we see other people as more important than ourselves, we don't want to take revenge on them anymore. When we want to honor them, we want to love them, man, we don't feel the need to go and seek revenge and retaliation because we understand that Jesus never did that to us. He could have stayed on his throne. He could have stayed where he was, but instead he came down here for us. And so, so what does that mean for us? What, how, how does that practically work itself out? I think when you remember that message and there's, there's times that come into your life where you want to start to seek revenge on someone, you can understand that even though that person may have wronged you, even though they've done something to you that hurt, maybe it's deep down and it's hard for you to forgive them and they've done something to you that's, that's hurt you so bad or they hurt somebody you loved, but now you can understand that this is a person that Christ laid his life down for just like he did for you. You can see them as someone who Christ saw as valuable enough to come and pay the price for their sin just like he paid for yours. And some of you are going to say, well, Zach, you don't understand what they did to me. You really just don't get it. They hurt me so bad. They did something so offensive to me. They wronged me in such a, such a deep way. But if they would just pick themselves up and get it all together and come apologize to me, then I would let it go. But they won't apologize to me. And here's what I would say to that response. Good thing Christ didn't wait on us to get it all together. Good thing Jesus didn't say, hey, I'll come down and save you when you pick yourself up off your butt and get it all together. Romans 5, 8 tells us just the opposite. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. He said, I'm going to come anyways, even though you've been rebellious, even though you've been disobedient, I'm going to come and give my life freely for you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. And when we carry that mentality, we understand that that person we want to seek revenge against is somebody that Christ died for them as well, and we want them to know. We want them to know. And this takes me to the, the last thing, practical thing that I remember. It's when we seek revenge, we lose our place for mission. When we seek revenge, we lose our place for mission. And I think sometimes when we talk mission, missional living, I think sometimes a lot of people can take that and say, well, yeah, I, I go on mission, man. I go to Africa once a year. Or I go on this trip once a year. Or I go do this. But man, missional living, what it truly is, is waking up every single day and you are living every single moment of that day from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed for other people to see and hear about Jesus from you. That's what missional living is. Missional living is every single moment you walk outside of your door, you are a witness for what Christ has done for people in this world. And when we start to live every day on purpose, we can't really seek revenge any longer. If we're living every single day, everywhere we go on purpose, revenge is something that we, we don't want to get after. When you understand that God's placed us where we are for the sake of his name, it begins to change things. And I'm going to go to Acts 17 to, to make the point. Be in Acts 17, 26 and 27. 
The Bible tells us, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now let me make some sense of that passage for you, because when I, when I read that passage and God gripped my heart with it, it changed my outlook on how I saw every single day. What that passage is telling us is that God has put you where you are for a particular purpose. You work at the job that you work at. You live in the house that you live in. You have the parents on your kids' ball teams around you on purpose for the purposes of God. You are where you are on purpose. You're not there on accident. Even when you hate your job, you are there for a reason. And there have been days where at, at former jobs that I've been like, I cannot wait to get out of here. And then God had to grip my heart and say, Zach, you are where you are for a reason. Don't lose your opportunity to live a missional life because you are tired of working. Don't live your life in such a way. And so you are where you are for a reason. None of that is there on accident. And since that's the case, every single day we walk out of our doors with the understanding that we have the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus to people around us. Now think about this for a minute in regards to revenge. If I've got that coworker that I, I just can't stand, and 90% of the time of my life I am seeking to get back at them to make right what I feel like I've been wronged, or I'm always belittling them and degrading their name, if I live my life in such a way as like that every single day, do you really think they're going to want to hear what you have to say about the God of the universe? Do you really think they're ever going to want to believe anything that we tell them because they know how we've been to them? They know how we've treated them. They know how we've acted towards them. So when we, when we live our lives and we seek revenge, we lose our opportunity for mission. We throw that down to the side because we put ourselves in front. But instead, we have to put Jesus in front and realize every day is an opportunity. We have to live our lives Christ-centered, grace-filled, and looking to serve the good of others and the glory of God. You see, the purpose of all of this, man, we don't seek revenge simply for the, it doesn't kind of end all just so we can say, I'm better than them, I didn't seek revenge. We don't, we don't not seek revenge so we can say, I'm, they'll get what's coming to them later. I hear so many times people say, well, karma will get them. Can we just get real? Karma is not a real thing. Karma is not real. All right, karma's not a real thing, and karma's not going to come to get them because what God wants for them, the one who's over everything, God wants the salvation of their souls. And God has put you in that person's life for the purpose of them to come to know Christ. And so we don't want the worst for people. We want the absolute best for them. We don't want them to not know about Jesus. We want them to hear about them, love him, and trust him. And that's, that's why we live in the way that we live. Sometimes it's going to be incredibly hard to live in such a way. I mean, there's going to be days where that is just the last thing you want to do is to take one more word from that person or to take one more of their actions from them. That's the last thing you want to hear. I love this, this quote by a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He's one of my favorite preachers. Um, and, and I think it just captures, captures the heart of where we're getting to. He said, sometimes we have to be the anvil while bad men are the hammers. Sometimes we have to be the anvil while bad men are the hammers. Now, if you know anything about anvil and hammers, an anvil sits there while a hammer just beats the mess out of stuff. And so it just sits there and gets pounded and gets pounded and gets pounded and gets pounded. We're saying sometimes we have to be that anvil. Sometimes we're going to have to take some shots. 
But when we remember that our approval doesn't come from the people around us, instead our approval was defined by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Our approval doesn't come from others, it comes from God. And when we carry that mentality everywhere we go, revenge doesn't look as sweet anymore because you realize that they don't have anything against you. I don't have to care what they think about me. I don't have to care what they say about me. I am so freed up because of what God has done for me that I can love them and seek their good as well. I'm going to get ready to wrap up here, but, but I want us to think about for a minute, man, what would it look like for this city, for this county, for this state, for our country, for our world, if the people of God walked every single day not thinking of themselves better than anyone else, even their enemies, and we walked every single day in such a way where we wanted the good of others and the glory of God? What if we walked every single day in such a way that, that it's not about our needs and desires anymore, but it's about yours? Life's not all about me, but I'll, I'll make it about you. Even though you've wronged me, I want to help you. I want to I, I be there for you. I want to step in and love you and show you grace, the grace that God has shown me. What if we lived in that way? What, what, what would our world look like? How many people might come to know Jesus out of people who walked that way every single day in their homes, at the ballpark, in their families, with their spouse, everywhere we go? What if we live that way? The Apostle Paul carried that same mentality in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So he's saying, I'll become all things to all people. I'll do whatever it takes so that these people would hear about Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll lay myself aside so that they would know about the God I love so much. He says that that's the way we ought to carry our lives. And for some of you, man, you have carried on anger and the desire for revenge for far too long. You have carried it on for far too long. It's, sometimes it's all you can think about. It's all, you, it's all you think of when you see that person. Like I said, man, I've been there. When I saw that coworker that, that had wronged me so badly, the only thing I could think of when I saw them was how fast I could get away from them. And some of us have carried far too long the mentality of, of getting back, making things right, getting things even again. Some of us have carried it for far too long. And what Jesus is calling us to, he's saying, hey, lay that down at the foot of the cross. It's not good for you, it's not good for others, and it's not glorifying to God. He wants more than that for us. And for some of you, man, some of you, you've, you've been, maybe you've been at church, maybe this is your first time, or, or maybe you've been here week after week, and, and the message that, that God ha has sent his son Jesus to save your soul, God sent his son to take your place, that has never set into you. You've just never been able to understand and accept the fact that God loves you so much that he would send his son to take your place and pay the penalty that we deserved. Man, if that's you and that, that message has set in for the first time, you need to accept Christ for the very first time. For others of us, man, we just need to be free, free from anger, free from the desire for revenge. We need to lay it down at the foot of the cross. So, so we're going we're gonna to pray here in just a second. And, and our, while I pray, the response team is going to come down. And man, if that's you this morning, if you're saying, man, I am at the end of the rope. I have been looking for revenge for far too long. I can't take another day of anger and hatred that I have within my heart towards these other people. If that's you, man, come pray with these people. Come confess it before man and before God. And just ask God to change your heart. Ask God to grip your heart and move you in a new way. And for others of you, man, if you, if, you, if you feel that message of Christ loving you and coming to save you, if that's becoming real for the first time, man, come tell somebody. 
Come tell somebody, come pray with them. Tell them, man, I finally got it. I get what Christ has done for me. And I want to accept him and receive him as Lord of my life. So after we pray, you guys are free to, free to come down and move. God, we love you so much. We just thank you for today. Thank you so much that, that you loved us uh, enough to send Jesus to, to take our place, to, to live the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserved. And because of that, God, we, we don't have to feel the punishment that we actually deserve, but instead we get the grace that God has given us. Thank you so much that that's a reality today. God, I pray that, that the people in the room this morning that have carried revenge on for, for so long and it's been weighing on them, it's been weighing them down, and it's, it's made them so angry and hateful towards others, God, I pray that you would help us to lay that down at your feet and realize you came to save us from that. And that is not what you want for our lives. God, I pray that you would grip our hearts with that message. Help us to live in a new way. Help us to be a church that doesn't seek our own good, but instead seeks the good of others as you want for us. Help us to be a church that is so selfless that we go out every day and tell others how awesome and wonderful you are. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us in our lives, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen.